Matthew 7, 13. The title of this sermon is Great Was the Fall of It. It's kind of a, I'll warn you guys right now, this is a uh, challenging 17 verses. So we're going to read them, pray, and then we will get started. Reading out of the ESV, in case you want to know. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that it's like a rock, it's a hammer, it's a fire. It's a sword that cuts deep. And Holy Spirit, we just, we ask collectively together that you, Holy Spirit, would use this, this passage, these words of Jesus, and you would, you would do some work on every one of our hearts. You would cut deep, that you would, you would show us, Lord, some areas that um, are not bearing fruit, that are dead, that need to be cut away, or you would, you would show us areas of disobedience, Lord. God, I pray that this morning you would even save, God, that those who are here today, who have not yet trusted in in you, put their hope in the blood of Jesus. God, would you lead them to do so? Show us our need for you, for for a savior. For these are some hard words, God. Would you prepare our hearts and our minds? Prepare my lips, Lord. If any of us are even confused, would you make this clear to us this morning? We love you and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon with these. It's kind of like four little sections, little paragraphs, or some of them are kind of like parables. 
And you can pretty much sum up these 17 verses with this sentence. The mark of a true Christian is obedience to Jesus. Let's say that again. The mark of a true Christian is obedience to Jesus. There's this verse in Hebrews 12, 14 that also kind of sums up everything Jesus said. And it's Hebrews 12, 14. It says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If, if you are not obedient to Jesus, you will not go to heaven. If there is no fruit, if there is no evidence, there is no holiness, no obedience, if your life has not been changed, you will not see the Lord. That's how Jesus likes to close his sermons. Just, okay. Uh, I'll just acknowledge from the beginning, this is a difficult sermon. These are difficult words. They're confusing. Sometimes they're like, how does this fit with like the gospel? How does this fit with we're not saved by works? It's difficult. It's hard. Um, But let's actually start with the last two verses, verse 28, 29. Um, This will help us just kind of frame what Jesus is about to say. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, I just want to stop. So a quick reminder, Jesus said these things. Jesus said these words. These are not my words. They're not a Bible teacher's words. They're not some clever man's words. Like Jesus said these things. So as we wrestle with them and as we're like, oh my gosh, We just have to remember, Jesus said, Jesus said these words. These are the very words of Jesus. And then it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Let's just quickly remember what Jesus says goes. Jesus has authority. Jesus is God. What Jesus says is true. And so as we read these 17 verses, just remember, man, this is difficult. This is hard but this is what Jesus said. This is how Jesus spoke to us. And I think it's helpful to remember that the Bible refers to Jesus as the lion and the lamb, right? There's this quality of Jesus that he's sometimes so tender. And you read these stories and you're like, wow, that is so good. Even the beginning of his sermon, the Beatitudes was just like comfort and love and grace and acceptance. And then there are times when Jesus is tough. There are times when Jesus is like a lion, and if you read Chronicles of Narnia, I love it. They're, it's uh, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The kids are figuring out who Aslan is, and they're talking about him as a lion, and the kids are like, is he safe? And the beavers who are talking to them are like, laugh, like, of course he's not safe, but he's good. And, and Jesus is often like a lion, and, and honestly, like, can, can do some damage, can wound, he's dangerous, he's not safe. And this sermon, these 17 verses are like lion verses, And Jesus just stands with his authority and says some really difficult things. And, you know, we we often even get this idea like God the Father is gnarly sometimes, like in the Old Testament, but then Jesus shows up and is like, no, 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 like let's be loving also God. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God too. And Jesus is the lion in the lamb. There's even this story I read this last week in Leviticus of all places, um, where the sons of Aaron were making a sacrifice that was against the way God told them to do it. And it said that the fire left the Holy of Holies and it came from the mercy seat and it struck them down. And I was just like, that's crazy. And I was reading a commentary and it said, 
it's noticeable that the fire had to pass over the mercy seat to kill them. The mercy seat was a place that represented like sins being covered. And if, if you remember our series in Revelation, like who comes back to judge the world? Jesus. And he's riding on a horse and his robe is dipped in blood and he's like breathing, he's like speaking in a sword and he's just slaying people and you're like, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. Sometimes Jesus is a lamb and sometimes Jesus is a lion. And this morning, he's a lion and he has some difficult things to say. And and just one more point on that. That's why it's so valuable to read uh, the Bible just straight through or even a book straight through because even to preach through a book because you show up and you, you read a verse like this and you're like, oh, I have to teach that verse. Can't we just skip on to, to one where Jesus is doing something nice? And it's like, no, this is the word of God too. This is Jesus too. Jesus is a lion. And so we're gonna begin and we're pretty much gonna, I'm honestly not gonna be too fancy because this is heavy enough. We're just gonna walk through these four stories and we're gonna see what Jesus has to say to us. So the very first picture that he gives us is verse 13 and 14. And Jesus is basically saying this, there's two ways to live. There's only two ways. There's only two ways. And he says, there's, a, there's this hard way and there's an easy way. There's, there's, and you go through that, you go through a gate to get there. You go through a narrow gate or you go through a wide gate. It says, enter by the narrow gate. So that the gate, whatever this gate is, it's narrow. And commentators say, hey, this is kind of like the idea of this gate is a turnstile, which is like you go into a baseball game or an airport or something, and you know, you have to like go in that little zone and you have to go in by yourself. And the reason why the gate is like that is number one, you have to get, you have to get into heaven by yourself. You go in alone. You don't get in on your parents' faith or your friend's faith or your husband or boyfriend or wife's faith. You don't get carried in by someone else like you have to go through that narrow gate on your own. You must enter with your own faith. And as Jesus is gonna point out, with your own obedience, you have to enter in. The, the other thing about this gate, it, because it's narrow, it's, it's too small for you to bring your stuff. It's too small for you to bring your idols. It's too small for you to bring your favorite person or your favorite possession. This is why Jesus said, it's harder for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's this narrow gate. Jesus said in Luke, anyone who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. You're just like, what are you saying, Jesus? And his point isn't necessarily you have to not own anything, but Jesus comes first. And there's nothing else that you are allowed to hold onto that he can't have. You have to go through that narrow gate just as you are. Do you know what else? It's because it's narrow, it's small, it's pretty easy to miss. There'll be a lot of other gates. There'll be wide gates. There'll be inviting gates. There'll be lots of people like, hey, this way to life, this way to heaven. But the gate Jesus is talking about is narrow. It's hard to miss. It's difficult to find. And, and some people will be frustrated and say, man, that's kind of like closed-minded, isn't it? Isn't it kind of exclusive? You have to go through this one little narrow gate. And honestly, the answer is yes, it is. It's, it's a narrow gate. It's an exclusive gate. The Bible says that Jesus is that gate. Jesus alone is that gate. In, in the book of Acts, Peter said, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. One little gate, one man, Jesus. 
Jesus said this of himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can enter, come to the Father, except through me. It's a small, narrow gate. The only way into eternal life is through faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ. Which, side note, that's why mission, that's why it's so important. Like, that island that Brit's on right now, 1.4 million people who have never heard the name of Jesus. There's no other hope for them but Jesus. Jesus is that narrow gate. And those people that like, that should do something to us. Like, oh my gosh, they need to know. They need to know. That's the only hope. That's even why we talk about like you, us, we are on mission. We are a sent people. The only way for your coworkers and family members who don't believe in Jesus, the only way for them to be saved is to know and believe in Jesus themselves. So we, we are like, we're missional people. There's no other way. It's a narrow gate. And that's, that's a difficult thing, especially in our culture of, uh, we just, we don't like hearing no, or, or you can't come, or you're excluded. Like that's, that's as taboo as you can get in our culture. But these are the words of Jesus, and they bear his authority. It's a narrow gate. Um, and here's, here's the thing, though. If that's a difficult truth for you, I want you to know this about the gate. The gate is an open gate, and that gate is open to everyone. Everyone and anyone can come through that gate. It's not closed. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to pass some test. You don't have to live a certain way before you can come to Jesus. That gate is very narrow, but it's an open gate. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned, how far from God you are, or or what your past looks like, the gate is open. Jesus says, come to me. Come. It's open. If you don't know Jesus right now, it's an open gate. He's saying, come in to this gate. He starts off saying, enter by the narrow gate. You know, we can, honestly, we can get so upset sometimes with like, Jesus, that's so hard. And we miss the point, which is enter. Like we can, we can get back and argue and have theological conversations. Is that really true? All the while not go in. Like, what a shame to be arguing at the foot of all volcano. Like, no, you just need to run away. Like, what a shame to be arguing about these theological truths and not enter the gate. Jesus says it is narrow, but it's open. So, so if you don't know Jesus this morning, it's an open gate to you. Come. There's no other way, but it's an open gate. And then Jesus doesn't just speak of a gate. He then speaks of a way. Say, so, hey, there's, there's two gates, but then there's two different ways. And uh, here's a hard truth from Jesus. He says, you want to follow me? It's hard. He says, the way is hard that leads to life. Man, that's, that's hard to hear. And if we're honest, like, who, who told us it would be easy to follow Jesus? And maybe the, the thought comes to mind, like, isn't, doesn't it say like his yoke is easy and his burden is light? And yes, it does. And what, what Jesus is referring to, he's gonna say that in chapter 13, is salvation cannot be done by your own works, by your own effort. It's impossible. But if you come to me, I can save you. And, and I don't require anything of you but your faith, but, your, but repentance, trust in me. And that's what he's referring to to be saved, to come to him is easy, but to follow him, to walk with him, to obey him, that's very hard. 
That's a hard thing to do. And the truth is, the way is easy that leads to destruction. That's what Hebrews 12, 14, again, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's, it's hard. The, the verse says strive, like it's gonna require something of you. And it's hard for a couple reasons. Number one, we live in a world that's fallen and it's full of fallen people and it's full of people that aren't following Jesus. And it's full of things that are called normal that aren't pointing to Jesus. It's full of like, yeah, this is normal, live this way. Like that's totally normal. And it's, it's completely opposite of Jesus. And when you look around, you're like, I don't feel bad doing what I'm doing because we live in, in the world and it's difficult. It's kind of like if you've ever been in New York and you're trying to cross a crosswalk and there's just like a flood of humans coming towards you. It's kind of like that, but you're the only one going and everyone else is walking towards you. That's just like the Christian life. And you're just looking around like, I'm a crazy person. Why am I going this way? This is hard. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. The way is hard. And many people aren't on that way. Obeying Jesus is hard also because of the thing the Bible calls the flesh. Even if you're saved, we're stuck in this body that gets tempted, that gets tired, that gets led astray. And the Bible says, man, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And and not only are you like trying to walk against the crowd, like you get tired and you get weak and we have doubts and we struggle with our own sin and sin and weight, like it weighs us down. And then on top of that, we have an enemy who all the while is like shooting darts at you or lying to you or telling you you're crazy or telling you to turn around or just maybe telling you, hey, it's this way, just leading you slightly off course. Like it's, it's not easy to follow Jesus. And then Satan is like, after you're tired and you're pressing on, he's like, is it really worth it? Look around, look at the fun, look what you're missing out on. And the truth is that's a daily experience. That's every single day. That's you wake up and it's just, you're in that current. Like with, high, or with our high schoolers, we just went to camp where we're at the American River and it's like flowing pretty hard and it's almost impossible to swim upriver. And then we had this game where like you're on a boat and you're allowed to like jump off and just like grab people and pull them out. So imagine trying to swim upriver, people are, are grabbing you and then the current's just going. And if you, if you just relax for like 10 seconds, you're like 100 feet down the river. It's, it's not like you don't just wake up like, okay, I'm getting ready, here I go, like, The moment you coast, like, you're getting pulled. Like, it's a difficult thing to follow Jesus. And I just want to ask, does that road sound familiar to you? Does it sound familiar? Are you, like, in a struggle? And hear this. If your Christian walk is a struggle, be encouraged. You're probably on the right way. If you're struggling, you're probably on the hard way. And listen, if your Christian walk is a breeze, you're probably not on the right way. If it's just easy, if things are coming natural, just, oh, I'm reading my Bible. Oh, I'm like never struggling. Like you are probably not actually trying to obey and follow Jesus. Jesus said, hey, it's a hard way. It's hard to follow me. And those who miss the way are many. And those who actually make it to me in the end are very few. And then one of the ways and we're going to move on to the next chunk. One of the ways the enemy makes the way hard is through false teachers. And that's what Jesus talks about in the next like five or so verses. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
And then he goes on to say, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, we must, not, we must be careful not only about our way, but about our teachers. We actually have to be careful about our teachers and about who and what we're letting into our mind. The Bible calls them false prophets. Like, that is so crazy. Like, have you ever even ever used those words? Like, I think that person's a false prophet. Like, if you say that, everyone looks at you like, whoa, dude, calm down. What are you saying? Like, we just, we're, we're just so like, don't say that. Don't say that that's wrong. Do we have a category for false prophets? Because Jesus does. And Jesus says, you better watch out for them. They will be part of your Christian walk. How do we know them? Well, also they come in sheep's clothing, which when you hear that, like I picture like a wolf, like wearing like a sheep costume. But what it really means is sheep's clothing is wool, which is what a shepherd would wear. Basically this false prophet, they are dressed and look like a shepherd like a pastor, like a teacher. And they will probably have a flock and they may have a church and they may have influence and they may even teach from the Bible. Like they're not gonna be waving flag like, hey, I'm a false prophet. I'm a false teacher. What makes them dangerous is they look like a shepherd. They look like a good pastor and yet they are false. And how, I'm like, how do we know they're false? What do they do? Well, verse 15 says they're like ravenous wolves. Now this is crazy. I'm, I'm into nature and... Like, I don't know why, but uh, there's a series called Planet Earth, and it has this hunt scene of a wolf or two wolves, like, hunting down this little, like, antelope or something. And it's, it's so sad because how wolves hunt, it's almost unfair. They'll go to a group, to a big flock, and there will either be a really old or really young or really sick antelope. And so they'll chase them all the way, but, like, one will stand out, and that's the weak one. And they're like, all right, we're not going to waste our energy on these healthy ones. We're going to go after this weak one. And then they like chase down this sick or young antelope and they eat it. And that's, it's the same thing with false teachers. That's really sad, but they prey on the weak. They prey on the outcasts, those on the fray, those frustrated with their church, which like, let that be a motivation to go to church and to be healthy right? The more we remove ourselves from church, the more we remove ourselves from being healthy, like we are all the more a target to like be led astray. False prophets will often gather this group of disgruntled church people who leave their church and oh, finally we found something. That's what a false prophet does, like a wolf, a ravenous wolf. That's what a false prophet is like. And how do we know if they are real or false? Jesus says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Now quickly, Jesus isn't saying you're allowed to judge someone's salvation, which we can easily do. Like, I don't think that person's saved. But he says you are allowed to evaluate fruit, especially of a teacher, especially of a leader. And so like, it's a really important question. What's the fruit of their life, of their marriage, of their relationships, of their friendships? And what's the fruit of their ministry? Like are lost people coming to Christ under them? Or are they only getting disgruntled people? Are Christians being grown up and sent out? Or are they only just attracting frustrated people? What are the lives like of the people under their ministry? Are they real or are they false? And Jesus says, if you give it enough time, their life and teaching, they'll reveal themselves to be false. And then like any good gardener or farmer, what happens to them? Jesus says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down 
am thrown into the fire. Jesus says, beware. And I, I really do believe like we need to hear these words of Jesus today, actually today. Like there are actually false teachers today. And we need to, to heed these words of Jesus. Be careful. Be careful who you're listening to. And then Jesus moves from false teachers to false Christians in the next section. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But this is so crucial. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, when I read those verses, I, I personally like, those are some of the gnarliest verses in the whole Bible. Like what went wrong? What the heck? They're casting out demons and Jesus says, I never knew you. Like what's going on here? Well, first of all, the scene is, is the final judgment day. Every one of us, you and me, are going to stand before God. Just that's going to happen. And as we stand there, Jesus is going to basically separate everyone into two groups. And it's very clear there's also two places you're going to go. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. As there were two roads, as there were two gates, as there are two types of prophets, as there are two types of trees, now we see two eternities. There's heaven, eternal life, and then there's hell, eternal destruction, the fire destruction. Some fruit is kept, some fruit is cut down and thrown away. Some people make it through the narrow gate and many people do not. And then Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Because there will be horrible surprises on that day. There are many today who are doing great things in Jesus' name who will not see the kingdom of heaven. I just, I, you can't read that verse and not, like, that's just what it says. I honestly am like, I can't even, who, Jesus? But he says, many. And the last words of Jesus they will ever hear is, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And it's so sad. This isn't even like an exception. This isn't like a rare exception. It's the opposite. It's many will say, many Christians will show up and Jesus will say, I never knew you. So what, like, what were they missing? And there are some clues right here. And the first, what we know that they missed, what we know that what is not enough is, a, number one, a profession of faith saying, Lord, Lord, was not enough. Saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. They, I mean, this is crazy. They, to the right man, to Jesus, said, Lord, Lord. Like, they got it right. They got it theologically right. That's the right person, and they knew and called him Lord. And that wasn't enough. What else is great works of ministry was not enough. Like, they prophesied, and Jesus is saying, I never knew you. Like, how can that even, at first I was like, how can that even happen? And then you read the Bible a little bit and you realize like, oh yeah, a donkey prophesied. Jesus can pretty much speak through whoever and whatever he wants. So don't let your mighty gifts be your assurance that you're a Christian. Many 
have prophesied who aren't Christians? What about casting out demons? Why would demons leave if they weren't a Christian? Well, I think there it's because it was in Jesus' name. And Jesus' name is powerful. Just bar none, it's powerful. And then what about do mighty works, like miracles, signs and wonders, healing people, raising people from the dead? I mean, in the Bible, we see Pharaoh's magicians doing, matching like the first half of the plagues. We see Jesus say, hey, many false signs and wonders are gonna come at the end times and deceive many people. So apparently that can happen. Prophecy, casting out demons, mighty works, good things. And they are not a Christian. And so, so what were they missing? And Jesus says in verse 21, the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So apparently you can do many amazing things and not do the will of God. Uh, a preacher, an English preacher about a hundred years ago, G. Campbell Morgan said, they had done everything but the Lord's will. So what, like, what is that? What's going on there? And I think the key there is real obedience to Jesus. The true mark is not, I'm gifted in ministry. The true mark is not, I, I have the right theology. The true mark is obedience to Jesus. And you know what's really scary is we all have like our strengths. We all have our strengths and we can kind of compare them to others and we, we know like, okay, these are strengths. And when I stand before God, I'll be able to be like, look at what I did, right? And, and from and these, these people, it was ministry. They had impressive ministry. They really prophesied. They really cast out demons. They were doing many amazing things. But the thing is, that's not what God's looking for on that final day. He will simply ask if we have obeyed him. Have you done my will in every area of your life? And you know what I think happens? We do many good things over here and then we, we like harbor some secret sins over here. And I, I honestly think, and I've experienced this myself, kind of like I deserve it. Look at all this stuff I'm doing. Look how I'm so much better than most people over here. And so what, this is just a little thing. This is just a little thing. But what that little thing is, is disobedience to Jesus. And Jesus says, the one who does the will of the Father the one who does the will of the Father. We have to ask, like, is our public life or our Christian life different than our private life? Because the scary truth is no amount of ministry or good deeds will help us if we've been disobedient to Jesus. And then Jesus goes into the last example in verse 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What's really interesting here is, first of all, these are all people who've heard the words of Jesus, right? Everyone who's heard my word. Both people building the house, they both heard the words of Jesus. And it seems that both built a house in response to the words of Jesus. 
It's like us. Everyone in this room, we've heard the words of Jesus, every single one of us. And, and we all may be like building our life. And, and on the outside, these houses both appeared to be fine. There wasn't anything like structurally wrong. Wasn't, one wasn't more impressive than the other. They're, they're standing. They're good houses. And, and it's just like the other parables. Both people are traveling on a road. Both appear to be real sheep. Both appear to be fruit trees. Both are working for the Lord and have outward signs and, and proof. And both parties have a house standing in response to Jesus. Okay, so you have these two houses in response to hearing the word of Jesus. But the difference is, the difference is, it says in verse 24, who hears these words and does them. So one person does what he hears, obeys Jesus. And then verse 26, everyone who hears and does not do them, that's building a house, but I'm not obeying Jesus. So a couple things here. Number one, this man who obeyed Jesus and built his house on the rock, it's, it's just going to be a lot harder to build a house on a rock than it is on just a nice level anywhere you want to pick, right? Like that rock probably wasn't perfectly level, which means he had to flatten it out and make a foundation. And he had to do a lot of work, careful, slow, hard work that no one else really saw. That was just foundation work. While this person was like, oh, anywhere will do. Anywhere will do. This is nice. It takes more time and effort and diligence to hear Jesus' words and actually apply them. Like, we all hear sermons and and we can all be like, yes and amen. But then to actually go and apply and obey in a moment of temptation, in a moment of look what everyone else is doing, like that is very, very difficult. It's difficult. And no one else really is going to know. But over here, you can hear the words of Jesus and then just kind of do your own thing and build your house the way you want. And I, and I would also honestly say, I think, do you know what's crazy? They heard, guess who their preacher was? Jesus. They heard Jesus. They heard Jesus sermons. Way better than anyone else's, way better than mine's. People heard Jesus sermons. And yet they did not obey him. They probably agreed they would call him Lord, Lord. Maybe they even did ministry. And yet they did not obey what he said and build their house on the rock, which is Christ in his word. And, and honestly, there's a danger to, by God's grace, we have good, faithful, we preach through the word of God here. But there's a danger to coming to church and hearing good sermons because it's, it's so easy to be like, yes and amen. Yes and amen. We're gonna go home and maybe we'll even talk about the sermon and then we do our thing kind of just do whatever we want. Or, or maybe we'll obey in some areas, but then some areas, uh, maybe not so much. And, and what will reveal who you really are, what kind of house you really have? Jesus says a storm is coming. A storm comes. And that storm, it's the same storm that is in all the other parables. It's the final judgment. It's when Jesus comes back. It's when we all stand before Jesus. And our life will be tried and will be tested for fruit, for obedience. And, and if there is none, our house will fall. And Jesus will say, as he said to the others, depart from me, I never knew you. And the difference was obedience. And it's, it's, it's just so crazy because this is how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. This is how he ends it, asking not what do you believe, not, not even like what do you think, Let's talk about this. Are you struggling? He simply just says, will you obey me? Will you obey me? 
I mean, quickly, will you obey me when I say judge not, that you not be judged? Will you obey me when I say do not be anxious about your life? Will you obey me when I say do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth? Do not, will you obey me when I say when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others? Like, do we even fast, honestly? Not really me. Do we, will we obey him when he says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Will we obey him when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Will we actually give to the one who begs from us? Will we actually not resist someone who is evil, but if they strike our right cheek, we turn to him our other also? Will we obey him and let our yes be yes and our no be no? Will we obey him when he says, do not commit adultery even within your own heart? Will we not obey him when he says, do not murder? Even, even I'm talking about anger in your own heart. He's asking, will you obey these things? Because that is the difference. That is the difference between a true and a false Christian. And honestly, I, I mean, okay, when I read these words, it just feels like it's like a weight too heavy to bear. Like that list right there, so many inconsistencies. And honestly, who, like, who here would, would stand up and be like, like the rich young ruler said to Jesus, all of these I've kept from my youth. I've done it, Jesus. I've done it. If that's you, it's, you're probably just prideful, which is the worst sin. So Jesus, he's, he's calling right here in this sermon for perfection from the heart. And that's true, and he's called us to obey him. And now, with all that weight and like, oh my gosh, let us remember, let us remember the only man who can truly say, all these I have kept from my youth. That man is Jesus. Since Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. And do you know how he ended his life? He ended his life like the tree that was cut off and burned, like the house that had a great fall. Jesus ended his life suffering, yes, physically, but suffering the wrath of God for all of our disobedience. The one man who perfectly obeyed ended his life letting all the wrath and the punishment that we deserved be poured out on him. Every time you disobeyed, every time I disobeyed, Jesus suffered in our place. Because what is amazing about our God is he doesn't just demand perfection of us, he, he provides perfection for us. The God who demanded perfect obedience perfectly satisfied that requirement in Jesus. Listen, the God who is a judge is the one who is judged by God. The one who says, hey, you need to follow me on this narrow path, left heaven and came after wandering sheep like us. The God who's like, watch out for the wolves, 
was himself a lamb who laid his life down to be slaughtered for us. And the God who says, you need, you must bear fruit, is himself the root and the vine and says, come to me that you may bear fruit. Listen, this is so important. We must obey Jesus, but we are not saved through our obedience to him. We must obey, but we are not saved through our obedience. We are only ever saved by the obedience of Jesus. And our sins are not forgiven because you're doing a good job obeying. Only Our sins are only forgiven because of the perfect obedience of Jesus. I mean, that makes sense, right? Even our best obedience is like, what is that? Like we have our own motives. It's not even like a worthy sacrifice. Jesus' obedience is the only one worthy to take away our sins. And so we are, we're not saved by our obedience. And the mark of a true Christian is obedience to Jesus. You are not saved by your obedience, but if you're saved, you will obey Jesus. You will. And if you do not obey him, you are not a Christian. And he will say to you, I never knew you. Obedience, our obedience, is the necessary evidence and proof of our relationship with Jesus. Our obedience is the necessary evidence and proof of our relationship with Jesus. And you know what's crazy? When we show up at Judgment Day, God asks for our obedience. He asked, he wants to see it. That's what he asks for. That's what made the difference in every one of these parables. He asked, obedience is like the receipt and and you have to turn in your receipt when you get to heaven. Yes, Jesus purchased your redemption through his perfect blood and sacrifice. He did it, but you have to turn in a receipt and that's your obedience to him. And if you don't have it, you have not been purchased. It's just that simple the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A good picture of this is, you know the story Passover, when Israel was in Egypt and Jesus or God was bringing them out of slavery. And he said, okay, tonight I want you to slaughter a lamb. I want you to take its blood and put it over the doorpost, right? And, and when you do that, I'm gonna send an angel of death. And if it sees the blood, I'm gonna pass over that house. But if there is no blood, I will take for me the firstborn son of the family. Okay, faith and trust and grace saved them, but the blood was necessary. And if the blood wasn't there, if they didn't physically obey the command, their son would have died, right? They were saved by grace. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it, but they had to put the blood there. They had to. And whoever decided not to obey that simple command, their son died. The same way for us, our faith, is what saves us. God's grace is what saves us, but our life is like that blood. Our life is proof that we have been saved. And no no true Christian will lack obedience, not a single one. And, And here's what's good news about that, because salvation isn't just like, okay, I'm gonna get to work now. I'm gonna start obeying, and then I think I'll be saved. Salvation is you've been changed from the inside out. You know that tree that was bad bearing bad fruit? The only way for a bad tree to bear good fruit is it had to become a different tree. It had to be changed from the inside out. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You need to be a new tree. 
The Bible says when you come to Jesus, you were dead and now you are alive. You had a heart of stone and now you've been given a heart of flesh. You used to be dead and now you've been given the life-breathing Holy Spirit of God. So you can't help but live. You can't help but bear fruit. You can't help but love God because you've been given a new heart. Listen, no Christian will begrudge obedience to Jesus. They love him. They love obeying him. They love his commandments. And that's, that's one way. Am I a real Christian? Well, one test is what do I really want at the end of the day? What do I really want? Yes, I may stumble and fall, but like I want Jesus and I want to obey him and I'm so sorry and I repent when I fail. Or I want my sin, but Jesus is nice because he like takes care of the punishment. See, a true Christian has been given a new heart. A true Christian has been attached to a life-giving vine and it cannot help but bear fruit. A true Christian has the spirit of God in him or in her and they love to obey. They love to obey. They won't be perfect. They're not saved by their obedience, but they will love to obey him. They're not just gonna seek to do some things for God and be like, look, God, they're gonna love him and obey him even in the hidden areas of their life. They're not gonna be perfect But when they sin, the spirit in their new heart will repent, always repent. And they will be a people that walk on that narrow path, that strive to enter on that difficult way, that will bear true fruit. And I think Jesus closes this sermon this way for two reasons, and this is is how we'll end. Hearing the words of Jesus that he tells us to obey are like so hard. He's at one point like, hey, you just have to be perfect. When we hear these words, they should bring us back to the very first thing Jesus said, which is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. When we hear the commandments of Jesus, it should lead our hearts to this like poverty, like, Lord, I can't do it apart from you. I need your help. Lord, I repent over my sin. Like when we hear these words, we should, like David said, a broken and contrite heart. That's the first thing these words should do is lead us to repentance. And the second thing it does when we hear these words is these words are the instructions for how we're called to live. And these words are what we will love to pursue. First, they bring us to repentance, but second, they show us this is how a Christian lives. This is how you will live. And We'll end one more time on verse 28 and 29. You know what the tragedy of this sermon is? Is in verse 28, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. That's what it doesn't say. They obeyed him. They started to follow him. They were disciples. They laid down their life. They forsake everything to follow him. They walked with him through that narrow gate. It simply says they were astonished. That was a good sermon. Oh, that's cool. They were astonished. They didn't obey. And we know as we keep reading, only a few, only a few heard the words of Jesus and then followed him with their life and obeyed him. And Jesus says here, only a few will hear my words and will obey me. And so, This morning, as we have this time for worship, we have to, like, we should praise him with our lips. We have to. He's worthy. But may we not 
be like this crowd and like, yeah, that's great. And then go do what we want. Like, may we actually be the few who strive to obey Jesus. For that obedience will make all the difference. And as we worship, I hope, I, I, I hope and pray there are some in this room who have not yet obeyed and started following Jesus and there's something in their heart, the Holy Spirit like, hey, come follow me, come obey me. As we worship, like, come, actually surrender your obedience, your life. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Jesus, I'm yours. Whatever you say, I will do. I'll do it. And when I fail, I'll repent and I'll continue to follow you on that hard way. Jesus, is, is wor- he's worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our lives of obedience. So let's pray and worship him. Jesus, help us right now, Holy Spirit. Would you lead us first, all of us, to repent, to genuine confession of our disobedience to you. Lord, all of us stumble in many ways. All of us have temptations. All of us have this flesh. Lord, would we come to you humbly right now? The gate is open. You are a gracious Savior who poured out your blood for our sins. Would we come to you? Would we remember the cross? Would we remember that you say, anyone who comes to me, that we all are invited to enter in, Would we come and sit at your feet in repentance? And then, Jesus, I ask that you would would help lead us to live lives of obedience. Not just mere agreement, not just we pick and choose what we want, but like, Jesus, you are my Lord and what you say I will do. Gosh, we want to be a people that that actually obey you, Lord. We we don't want to hear those words, I never knew you. We don't want to be among the many who are heading to destruction, yet fooled by whatever things they get to offer themselves, whatever acts of ministry, or how they're, they're good, Lord, would, would we be among the few who seek to follow you each day? As we even just leave church today, God, would our conversation help it not be about, about your words, but would we rather just seek to obey your words? Help us, Holy Spirit. We need you. We can't do this on our own. Come and meet with us now.